Hey guys, thank you for listening to our very first episode. I'm Randy. And I'm Lieben. And this episode is on why did Dave Chappelle turn down $50 million? This was in 2004 when Dave Chappelle's contract was finishing up for the Chappelle show after the second season. And uh, for all you listeners who aren't completely familiar with the Chappelle show, it was a sketch comedy show starring Dave Chappelle. Uh, it was just like SNL, but with Dave Chappelle always the one starting every episode with a stand-up set. And then later on, of course, leading into a bunch of comedy sketches. And yo, Lieben, did you know this? Uh, the Chappelle Show was actually hugely inspired by a book about comic sketches written by old SNL writers. So it really was the same format. Chappelle and Neil Brennan basically read the book and figured that they could do something like SNL. But, you know, still make it their own. Dude, honestly, Chappelle Show is, is so much more relevant than SNL, in my opinion. Like, don't get me wrong, SNL's like been running for as twice as long as I've been alive. And it's an icon called, but the cultural impact of Chappelle show is just nuts. Uh, I still hear about Clayton Bigsby, Rick James, racial draft on Twitter um, every single day, even though it only went on for two seasons over 16 years ago. Uh, And even Keenan Thompson, who's a regular on SNL said, I hold your first two seasons of Chappelle show up against any sketch show. I would say in history, it's just brilliant. Um, and all in all, it was just this massive hit, and it's mind-boggling just how much money and earning potential it had. And even it, and it even was the highest-selling TV DVD of all time when it came out. Uh, and when it came time to renegotiate for season three, he got offered $50 million. But there was just all this shit going on behind the scenes of Comedy Central uh, that he decided to walk away from it all. And that's why our big show for our very first podcast episode is... How did Dave Chappelle walk away from $50 million? Like, what actually happened? Uh, Were the conditions really that bad? Did he not have enough creative control? Was he against capitalism and the whole business? Like, what was it, Weeben? Um, You know, yeah, actually, I think you're right. I think he was just interested in the downfall of capitalism, uh, and he wanted to overthrow the establishment. No, not, not a laugh. No laugh. Okay, <laughs> but seriously, it's a little difficult justifying uh, giving up that much money. On some level, I feel like everyone has this idea that celebrities, especially comedians, don't really do work because after all, being funny can't be that hard. All you got to do is make people laugh and you're getting paid millions. Mm. But remember, so many people have such a bad taste in, in humor. Like it's, it's so annoying that in today's culture, people don't take the time for anything and people always look at the finished product and not the hours and hours of work that goes into it it's like that quote uh an overnight success is 10 years in the making i believe yeah and it definitely doesn't help too because um all we ever see are finished products when you watch movie tv show you just see the best version of every line and not the hundreds of mistakes it took to get there uh just taking uh just taking a look at this podcast it took way, way longer than necessary, even though all we need to do is just hit record and start talking. Obviously, it's way more effort to create a sketch comedy show, though. Uh, and Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan said that they were working for like 20 hours a day. Uh, and Neil Brennan had this quote. He was like, it was hard. We'd have to stay awake for 48 hours at a time just to keep up with schedule. We were bombed out and depleted. We were lumped up. We both had erectile dysfunction. Damn, they work so hard that their dicks went to limp. 
Yeah, so basically they beat their dicks until they didn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, imagine working a job that was so hard that even your dick got stressed. I think that's a pretty clear indication in any man's life that they should, you know, pull out. I'm not giving you that one. <laughs> but yeah. Uh no, yeah, no job is worth that. Uh even the couple of jobs I worked that are kind of high stress were not worth the little bit of money I was making and there's no amount that will pull me back in. Like there was this one time I worked at this call center and I literally spent 8 hours 8 to 10 hours a day getting screamed at, cussed out. I had the worst management. When I left that job, I promised myself if they offered me back my job at $1000 an hour, I still wouldn't go back. Hmm, but what would happen if they offered you $50 million to work only just like one more year there? Would you do it? I mean, I really only lasted a year and a half anyways, so probably not. Uh, definitely would not want to go back to the place where some old man jerked off to me over the phone. Dude, wait, really? Dude, that, that's fucking messed up. That's, that, like, that's pretty scarring to have someone to do that to you on the phone. Did you, like, re- did you report that to your manager or anything? Report to the manager. Man, stuff like that was just another day. Uh, happened to someone or multiple people at least once a day. That was just, it was just regular stuff there. That's, that's pretty fucked up, man. Like, like, doesn't that classify as, like, hella sexual harassment? I mean, yeah, but I didn't even get the worst of it. If you were a girl, geez, man, sometimes, like, these dudes will just hear a woman's voice at the other end and start acting up like every single woman i worked with had a hundred stories and like man that job was just a shit show in totality yeah like what do you mean like how bad was it Eh, i mean like i wasn't doing hard labor or anything the job itself was like super simple it was just tech support answer the phone turn it off and on like that was it um and probably for like a good year i took you know, all the stupidity, anger, yelling, like cussing me out over the phone. I thought it was all a huge joke. And I would just like go home and laugh about it. I'd be like, oh, this is, uh, you know, great for a bunch of stories. Uh, but, you know, as that year went on, like it was just more and more apparent how sad that place was. Like all of my coworkers were completely dead inside. And management, man, bro, they were just so happy they got promoted to from answering the phones. Uh, so they literally did not care about anything that was going on there. You'd ask for help like three, four times and they'll be like, oh, wait, uh, uh, give me a second. I got to figure out what I got to order to eat today or whatever. So and man, not, to make it even worse, though, during that time, um, I was going to school full time and working full time. So like my school schedule was 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then work schedules from 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. So, and then that's even without the commute times. So there was like no sleep and having no sleep and getting cussed out for 10 hours a day is, is not a good combination. Damn, dude, you really live that crazy part-time student, part-time work, no time sleep life. Oh man, <laughs> my life was so depressing. That's why I'm so glad I'm out of there now. I mean, just look at me, I'm unemployed. <laughs> it's funny that you're making way more being unemployed than you were when you had that job. Like, didn't you say like your, your paycheck for one week is basically two weeks of work at your old place? Yeah, literally. Yeah. Uh, I, I also love being unemployed. Uh, I, well, you know, I've worked as a server and bartender for so long and it's so nice that I'm making pretty good money being unemployed and I don't have to deal with 
shitty customers and shitty managers. Yeah, you know how there's that quote that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers? Like, that's really so true because if there's good leadership, people wouldn't be job hopping that much. But man, it seems like managers are either useless and they don't do anything or they're overbearing and just constantly pushing your buttons. Um, you know, in Dave Chappelle's case, though, it was definitely the pushing your buttons. The way Comedy Central treated him really rubbed him the wrong way. Um, of course, like, yeah, sure, they gave him a chance on the show, whatever. Um, but when they realized how much money they can make off of him, Dave Chappelle is just this cash cow that needed to be coddled, milked as much as possible. Um, you know, one time he was telling the story about how he came into work uh, in the office as usual. And then he went to his desk and a whole fucking wall was built around it to close him off. Uh, and when he asked about it, they tried convincing him that it was his idea. Um, and then even on top of that, there are people following him around, telling him that he's crazy, trying to convince him to start taking uh, psych medicine. Um, and he even said like that there was just really ugly negotiations, people trying to take credit for this and that. He hated that the people were digging in his pockets and his mind. Uh, so it was really just a combo of this suffocation from the network along with everything else that pushed him to turn down the money and pick his freedom over it. But still, turning down $50 million when he was like 30 years old and had a wife, uh, like so many people make the safe decision for the future and their family's future. But in this case, Dave Chappelle valued all these other things so much more, like his self-worth and sanity. And it's pretty commendable that he could not put a price on it. You think he's selfish for picking his pride over the money, even though he had a family to take care of? It could come off selfish from that point of view, but I still see it as more of a respect of the self-worth. But, but for people like us, for us common folk, it's pretty hard to imagine turning down that much money when our parents immigrated to this country and came here and did you know, anything or everything for money. Dude, the way we're brought up from a young age, thinking that money is the only important thing, uh, and we're just reminded of it every single second. Like you just constantly get, I'm working these awful jobs and hours for you. Um, and I hated that so much because like I never asked you to do all that. And I know no matter what, like I never want to give my kids a speech that goes, you know, I sacrificed everything to get you money. Um, you know, I just don't want them to relive, relive that part of my life. Um, but I heard he didn't even discuss with his wife that he was turning down that money though. So I would probably do that differently. Yeah. About your whole thing about like uh, that speech that, our parents give us, I think it's most kids uh, worst nightmare to someday end up like their parents. Uh, so as much as anybody loves or hates their parents, I think fundamentally everybody wants to grow up and live their own unique individualistic life. Yeah. Showing your kids you stick to your guns and never compromise your self-worth is really such a dope lesson. Um, yeah. I commend him too for taking that risk despite the responsibility to his family. That's still just so hard to wrap around because even though currently I don't have any obligations or anyone to depend on me for support, I can't help but think that am I still doing everything in my power to set up my life so that my future family, whenever that would be, can succeed as well? Like I don't know when I'll have a family, not anytime soon, but whenever it is, 
uh, how do I even approach making any decisions that are also weighed in with like mental, emotional, financial values? Like, like you, like you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of like how most people, like about standardized tests, like most people can agree that they, that those tests put a value on certain subjects and they aren't a clear depiction on people's intelligence because it only focuses on one kind of intelligence. And then on the other side, they place no value on the arts, for example, like dance and singing, which is funny because lots of celebrities in our society are held so highly because of those very skills. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's funny we, we the way we laugh at people pursuing arts um, in high school and college, but then want to praise them once they get a little bit of success. Like even me, a couple of years ago though, I actually laughed at people pursuing stuff like arts, even though that's something they actually loved. Like it's you know, I, I was <laughs> I was studying sociology and I hated that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, now they're la- they're the ones that are laughing at me because I'm a dropout who wasted my time in college. Yeah, and they must be having the time of their life because I'm a double dropout. Oh, yeah, you're, you are. So you're a double loser. Um, but do you think being on both sides, uh, you probably met people with the same mindset about pursuing arts and stuff, huh? Like, wait, what mindset are you talking about? Uh, the, the pursuing arts is dumb mindset. Mm. Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't really think I really met anyone our age that actually thought the arts was a suicide career. But I, I met lots and lots of people like our parents' age who definitely shared that opinion. I feel like the overarching opinion of our peers was that they think that the arts is super dope and believe everybody is an artist in their own unique and creative and individual way. But no one actually thinks that they're good enough to devote their lives to it and make it a livable career. I think lots of people believe you have to have be this natural born prodigy or come from a super affluent family who have given you all these resources growing up or, you know, and and with that have gone through some rigorous training your whole life or, or then, or just honestly be one of those one in a million success stories that they just have the stars lined up right for them when they, decide to pursue it and then in, in a short time period they were able to uh, become successful in it yeah the stars lining up like i definitely agree i think there's a lot of truth in that like you know obviously anyone can pursue entertainment but you know it helps having resources and connections early in life just like with everything else and just being in the uh, position to even be able to express your creativity is a privilege that not many people have right away and yeah you might have a great talent but doesn't hurt also having parents pushing you in that direction from a young age like for example Dave Chappelle started stand-up at 14 uh, and even went to performing arts high school Uh, and I'm pretty sure uh, he said before that his like mom and grandma would take him to these nightclubs even though they you know been working all day they would just get off of work and then go take him so that he could perform and you know not a lot of us have parents that would go that extra mile to help you know cultivate this talent Um, but him being so young, I'm sure he was definitely familiar with how just the entertainment industry goes, uh, and being surrounded by it, molded for so long, so many years, like, I think that's where he definitely got his opinion, uh, changed over time, where it became worse and worse, uh, and he saw the fame and success as poison, the more praise he got, 
And I really wonder, though, how different things would be if he got into entertainment later in life. You think he still turned on the money? Mm, I don't know. He has three kids now, and if his financial circumstances were much more intense, uh, he might. Like, he's human. Like, he might have caved if he had a bigger financial incentive, you know? Yeah, I think he actually might have had a kid or two by then, but I'm not 100% certain. Um, but, yeah, he was definitely already married at that time, though. Uh, I, even even still, I guess you don't need that much money to raise a family or anything. Like, he hates Hollywood so much, he lives in Ohio, of all places. Uh, and he said before, turns out you don't even need $50 million to live around these parts. Just a nice smile and a kind way about you. That's why I came back, and that's why I'm staying. Dude, like, a, a saying like that makes me so envious of his mindset. Uh, he, like, the dude already has so much talent and charisma, and he's loved by so much of Hollywood, yet he prefers to live in the quiet neighborhoods of Ohio. Um, I've always heard of people leaving the Midwest and going to LA or New York, but never the other way around. And if you were going back, it was always like a walk of shame because LA and New York chewed you up and spit back your dreams. You know, the dark side of the city of angels and the city of dreams. Yeah. Like we're both from Minnesota and it seems like us and everyone around us, all they want to do is, you know, get the fuck up out of there. Especially being in our early twenties now, it's like, why would you want to even stay home? Like, I don't know, the Midwest is just blah, like it always seemed like a place to go back to later in life, not somewhere really to experience life. And I guess when all you see is uh all that craziness though, you kinda want some peace though. Personally, I wouldn't want to go back if I ever made it big, but uh, it might be different if I had the same, you know, familiarity with big city life. Um, like if I'm one day successful and say like, you know, the city's spoiled for me or I hate it so much or, you know, my opinion changes. It's also hard to go against the culture that we grew up in, that living in an amazing city in LA or New York on the coast with a super high paying job and then living this lavish lifestyle is something that everybody apparently wants. And from my short time living in New York city for a few years, I saw so many people who were living there and like, you know, who were very motivated and inspired and who were also inspirational with their stories. But it was, but there was like this underlying loneliness that I kind of saw that no one really addressed. Um, no one, for the most part, no one took the time to make any real friendships that were outside of networking. Um, like to elaborate, like every every relationship I saw out there, for the most part, was like a give and take. Like, how can I benefit from our relationship? Like, do you know a great manager? Do you know uh, this guy or this gal that can get me a job? Like, do you know, um, like, like who do you know that can help me? Right. And the only close friends you had were usually your partner or your roommates. Uh, like that's just a huge dark side that the big city life that not a lot of people like to talk about, which I feel like should really be more in the holistic conversation if you were to uproot your life and change it. That's depressing as heck, dude. Um, yeah. It I really think that was the driving factor for um, why Dave Chappelle left it all. Like, 
I think it was really apparent, especially in his Mark Twain award ceremony uh, that's on Netflix. I would definitely check it out. Um, it's It was apparent like just how much everyone there loved and appreciated him genuinely. And I really got the impression that he's the kind of guy uh, who cherishes the, uh, the people and his personal connection to them versus having, you know, an entourage or just yes men that, you know, uh, work for him all around. You know, it makes sense. He really wouldn't care for the shallow relationships that seem so prevalent in places like New York City or L.A. Um, yeah, you know, you just got to have a little something more real. And I've been really thinking about this a lot lately, how I don't care for networking and meeting people and stuff. I'm definitely the opposite of you in that case, where you can just strike up connections with anyone. So I feel like you definitely thrive in a place like Hollywood. Oh, thanks, man. But uh, again, from my, from my time living in New York City, though, I've learned that if you go anywhere, that you don't have any real connections with anybody to start off. Building up your new life with zero connections is extremely hard especially if you're young and have no credible connections or experience and on top of that being a person of color being in entertainment like that's that's just so hard it's like being the only person of color in a room like our school system but on a way bigger scale because now in school you can kind of be invisible but now this is your, your job and if your job's in entertainment you you're fighting for the spotlight uh and i I don't know like just like saying that loud just makes me really see that as a a huge factor that dave Chappelle had uh had a problem with when he was probably working at comedy central and he was he was so sick of these white people that he had to leave the country altogether and then go to africa to take a break from it all dude even thinking about that like especially back then there was no social media uh, to like air your grievances out on woke culture was not something talked about in the mainstream like people were not having serious conversations about this everything was just you know muted shut up like like you knew about it on an individual level but there was no conversation around it all um and you know i'm pretty certain he heard and saw a lot of racism that was just either completely accepted or even encouraged um I actually i'm trying to think like i forget exactly where he said this quote but uh, he was talking about how so many people who liked the show were laughing at him and Black people, not understanding the deeper meaning of the irony and the comedy that he was trying to pursue and like showcase to the world. Um, it was just, ha ha, look at the funny Black man saying the N-word. Mm, yeah, like when you say that, it really makes me think about all that criticism of of uh, Aquafina and like what, what she was getting for appropriating Black culture. and. I didn't really understand it until a friend explained to me. She was saying that, you know, first of all, Aquafina never grew up in a black neighborhood uh, in, in New York City. So she has no idea how Aquafina would have ever uh, picked up that dialect. And also, it's pretty problematic because of Aquafina using that uh, dialect for comedic purposes for primarily an Asian audience and then the audience laughing to it. So just basically of, of what you described, the um, uncomfortable environment that presented itself uh, for Dave Chappelle on uh, his set. And this whole, like with the thing of Aquafina using this kind of dialect, it presents itself as a, like a free pass for other Asians to laugh at this kind of speech 
because it's coming from an Asian person. And the way I see it, it's like just like in the past, but now if I see in per if I see it in person, like it's like a white person putting on an Asian accent for laughs. And I know for sure if I would if I saw that in public, I would I would speak up and get fucking pissed. Yeah, no, that that's that's messed up. Like none of that stuff is funny. And you know, there could be an argument for you know how we grew up is we grew up with the internet and we saw you know so many different people from so many different places so everything just kind of gets melded together and we uh you know all say the same slang and whatever's cool or whatever um but you know that's really not the case here um there's a, a much bigger conversation there needs to be had about how people love black culture but not black people but um yeah, for Aquafita to, uh, you know, make it big in acting, um, but make it big acting like something she's not, and then dropping the black scent to appeal to a wire wait, wait, wider. Wait, 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 uh, wait, what'd you say? Wait, what was that? I said, yeah, I said, <laughs> I said her black scent, like black accent. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, when she dropped that to appeal to a wider audience is just another example of how, you know, we're seen as like cool, funny, relatable, whatever, but only from a distance. And then when it's time to get up close and personal, like, you know, we're considered loud, aggressive, ghetto, et cetera. And it's like unprofessional. So she, so from far away, she had the accent and then up close, she dropped it because she doesn't want to be, you know, associated with all of that. Um, but honestly, like, that's really why I feel uncomfortable watching stuff like boondocks or a Chappelle show with non-black people because obviously like they're laughing at the same joke I am but are you just laughing at black people as a whole or are you actually getting like the subtle situation the irony like the deeper meaning like that's supposed to make it funny because it's that's what all it is is like it's ironic um and you know it's kind of like how if you're my friend you can obviously call me a bitch or whatever you want like I don't care but a random person on the street can't just come up to me and talk to me like that. Mm-hmm. And like, like, there's actually a joke, like, uh, like the one joke in Crazy Rich Asians. I uh, remember when Ken Jong, uh, like, it was when they invited uh, uh, her. Uh, oh, what was the actress name? When when they invited Constance Wu over for uh, dinner at their place, and mm-hmm. then Ken Jong, the dad puts on this super asian accent and i remember being at these like, oh my god fuck. are you fucking serious this movie they're gonna fucking play the asian accent and then he drops it and he's like nah i'm just kidding i, I studied at berkeley <laughs> and then i i remember being in a, in a in a theater full of asian people and it, everyone started fucking laughing and i don't know just, like that's that like that was that was fucking gold <laughs> that. um but anyways uh wait, wait, what yeah what you're saying about um, uh, just being like subtly racist, or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It, just, it makes me mad. It makes me so mad that some people think that they can have like one black friend, right? And then just saying, then use that as a shield to any kind of criticism that they're racist. Like, motherfucker, just because, like, just because you don't eat meat for the past few days doesn't make you like just cleanse everything and that you're suddenly now a vegetarian. Like, th- th- that's a loose analogy, but you know, 
same kind of vibe, right? What you mean, though, bro? Don't you know having black friends means you can't be racist? You know, like, obviously, we're not going to get into that whole big thing, but there's so much subtle racism that's so invisible unless you're actually facing it. Reminds me of his uh, Dave Chappelle's most recent special. He was telling the story about this Comedy Central exec. He was asking her why he can say the N-word with the hard R, but not the F-word. Uh, and she replied that he can't say it because he's not gay. And he goes, well, I'm not an N-word either. <laughs> so, you know, that really expands on how little they thought of him. And I really definitely would not want to be there after that. Like, imagine being used in that way. It almost feels like being put in a, like, mascot suit. Like, what's the thing called? You know, the costume people wear for their teams. Like, does that thing have a name? Bro, you just described a mascot. No, I know it's a mascot, but does the costume have a special name for it? Like, I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up either way. But either way, uh, it's like being in that suit. It's just being a poster boy to jump around and entertain without really looking at who's the person inside. Yeah, like you're making me think about like how frustrating it would be like if you were in a writing room like for SNL or any space where you're creating something and you're the minority. And it's hard to be taken seriously by other white folks like who are racist or or, you know, or subtly racist and, you know, and, and emitting microaggressions. But thankfully, Dave Chappelle had Neil Brennan, whom he had the highest respects for. And nevertheless, with all of his success comes with a lot of baggage. And Dave Chappelle said in Oprah that success will take you where character cannot sustain you. And dude, put, I'm going to put that quote on my future wall of quotes because that puts it so nicely that even though celebrities receive all this adoration from people like fame and everything else nothing comes without strings attached um like during this oprah interview he was being so open with all the behind the scenes bullshit he had to deal with and then uh, he got into uh when he went to africa and apparently there were so many crazy rumors why he went because no one knew except his brother and Rumors were like he had writer's block, was going insane, had ammonia. <laughs> but the craziest one is he went to Africa to check into a psych ward. Like, really? Dave Chappelle went from America to Africa for medical treatment? Like, what the fuck? Who would go to Africa for medical treatment if there are doctors right here? Like, <laughs> that just makes zero sense. And you know like just talking about his time in africa though um funny thing he mentioned is that he went there and he was like talking to the locals about you know his struggles in hollywood and not wanting to be controlled with money and all of that and he got this response from a dude that was like yeah man yeah it's totally tough out here too man like today i ate a dog <laughs> and so for him to, for even to like for him to even share that story is like it just shows how humble he is because he doesn't take himself so, so serious. Uh, he knows there are bigger problems out there and he didn't want to be anything more than himself. I, it, like I took that quote about success as him saying that success is dangerous and it doesn't matter how secure you are, it will eventually poison you, especially uh, in the way that Comedy Central is trying to control him and treat him as this god when all he really wanted to do was comedy. Uh, and speaking of his comedy, what he really wanted his legacy to be defined as was his stand-up career in the first place he liked the show and all but 
it wasn't how he wanted to be remembered. And one time he even walked off stage during a set because someone yelled out, I'm Rick James, bitch, in the crowd. And, you know, that just shows how frustrated he was getting with all of it. And after his fallout with Comedy Central, he took a 12-year hiatus before coming back and securing a massive Netflix deal for $60 million. He's arguably even more successful now than he was then, but now it's on his own terms and he's able to define his legacy how he wants to. And now his legacy so far is that he's a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, producer. He has numerous accolades, including two Emmys, three Grammys, as well as the Mark Twain Prize, one of the highest awards for American comedy. Uh, right now, it's currently on Netflix. Definitely recommend everybody to watch it. It's super funny, and everybody's testimony about Dave Chappelle is so endearing, and it's just it's 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 good entertainment. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Just like you know, wrap it up. I don't know, Dave Chappelle. Like you know, goes without saying, you're a fucking beast. Um, props to him. Turned down fifty million dollars. Super inspirational. That was our episode. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, big shout out to everyone listening. Hope you guys enjoyed. Make sure to pop in for our second episode, which is going to be on the legendary chef, David Chang. Later.